This is Small Changes, Stark Reality on jasoncharles.net. party people it has been a minute sorry for the delay i uh, moved recently and my life has been slightly upside down but honestly when isn't it in this episode of stark reality we roll out the tattered red carpet all the way to hell's kitchen slash dublin and catch up with my old friend desmond o'burn aka des aka dj repo man I met Dez in the mid-90s running around underground parties in New York. We were both resident DJs at the after-hour spot Ruby Lad. And we talk digging in various flea markets in the New York City area and beyond. His background as a guitarist in the Irish garage rock band The Golden Horde, who opened up for The Cramps back in the day and playing with bands like The Prisoners and Billy Childish. Growing up in Dublin in the 70s, seeing The Clash and The Ramones and The Specials all around 1978, so obviously making an impression. And uh, he had a side thing, making posters for a lot of the DIY shows he would put on with his band. Moving to New York in the mid-90s, getting sober, becoming a dad, adjusting to playing music sober, getting into carpentry and DJing and uh, why he started to gravitate towards instrumentals when he first started DJing, and even combining carpentry and DJing by uh, cleaning records with wood glue, which sounds scarier than it actually is. We also had a night together in the early 2000s at Plant Bar in the East Village. Talk about that a bit. Dez is really just a great guy and has excellent taste in music and gives us, of course, a playlist with... A nice stack of cumbia, compa, Brazilian, rocksteady, and even some guitar licks. Enjoy. This is recorded in sometime in November 2022. If a fork, a bottle, and a cork. That's the way you spell New York. Indeed, indeed. Desmond. Des. Desmond. <laughs> oh man, it's been many years. You were actually going to tell me how we first met because I actually forgot. That's right, Jim. I had a friend called Ivan. I can't remember his surname, but he lived in the fringes of Williamsburg. And this must have been back in 1996, 7, around then. And he had a house party. He shared a, uh, an apartment with uh, Jim Thurlwell, Fetus. Is that his name? Yeah, That's yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. So I even had a party. He asked me to come and DJ. And, you know, I had my cheap-ass turntables. I didn't have techniques at that stage. I just went, ran down to uh, the place way downtown. Canal Hi-Fi or No, what? the other place, the, even further downtown. That big music store oh jane r oh my god music just memory hold my shit there jane r music went down there one day and i two turntables they're like a hundred dollars each i was so happy and a mixer like a 99 dollar mixer i was over the moon and uh 
that was my that was my jam. I, I was all set up then. I was collecting records but like a fiend by that stage anyway. Um, I'd been in New York maybe a year and a half. I couldn't believe the music I was getting exposed to. Going, you know, I, I was working all around the city. I was cycling here and there. Everywhere you went, there'd be a junk store, a thrift store. So I'd lock the bike, run in, crawl around under tables. You'd find a box of old albums there. There'd be some weird Latin things. I'd go, hmm. And of course, everything was a dollar each or 50, 50 cents each or, you know, nothing was expensive then. And I ended up getting these trove of Latin records for like virtually nothing that now you, you can sell even some of them without the cover for like 200 bucks. Yeah, no, Latin records are real now. Yeah. <laughs> for real. But yeah, I guess because of the whole Fania and just the whole New Yorican that, yeah, you could come up on a lot of Latin records in New York, especially in the 90s. So, you know, I'd never really heard of this music before. I mean, everybody knew Santana, Oye Como Va, and a few other kind of well-known sort of Latin-y sort of sounds. But, um, yeah, so anyway, it was blowing my mind. And I was buying them and taking them home and listening to them. I just had to listen to everything. That was my thing. And uh, so anyway, I'm at, this, I'm at this party. Ivan said, can you DJ? So I had a eclectic mix of stuff, but no... No, like, hard beats or no uh, funky breaks or anything. Just sort of groovy, jazzy stuff and groovy R&B. And, and uh, I'm DJing away. And there's this bunch of guys there. They're like bikers. And they're like, hey, you got any Ted Nugent? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, Hilarious. And it was a little bit tense. And then there was a guy standing beside the, the decks. And, he, and I looked up and he kind of looked like an Amish he had a white suit on and a beard. And uh, he said, hey, man, I like your jams. And I go, oh, thanks. And he says, I'm small change. And I nearly fell over backwards because I had listened to you on FMU a lot. And I was familiar with you, but I never knew, I never imagined I'd meet you. And Dara from Dublin, the jungle DJ, he had said, oh, yeah, that's small change. He's, he's a cool guy. You can go talk to him and... I'm like, yeah, but when would I ever meet him, you know? And then all of a sudden, there you were, my fairy godmother. <laughs> <laughs> standing there, protecting me from the bikers, oh the evil God, bikers. Oh, my God, so funny. I had no idea about that whole Ted Nugent side. And the following day, or maybe like a few days after, I was heading off to drive across the U.S. in a 1968 Cadillac convertible. So anyway, I didn't see for ages after that. But yeah, we, we sort of we bumped into each other every now and again. Yeah, because I, I thought that that's so funny. I, I don't even know if I remember that, but I remember uh, seeing you and playing with you at the old Ruby Lad space, the first one, I guess, on uh, South Fifth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then obviously the, when it was on Closet. The Death and, Trap. Yeah, we, oh, we it definitely, it. I mean, I'm glad that we're alive because, <laughs> yeah, it would it could have been like, what was that place in the Bronx, the Happy oh, yeah. Land? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it could have been that because know, it was a basement space that there'd be like, yeah. what, five, six hundred people in three different rooms, you know. I and the DJ, of course, was in the very back. So, you know, we'd be fucking dead. Of course. So I used to turn up there with my turntables at two in the morning because yeah. I'd been DJing in a, in a bar or something. So my records, crates of 12 inch records and albums and stuff, long before I decided 45s were the way to go like everybody else did eventually. Um, so I'd, my, I have a photograph somewhere of my two two decks in the cases you gave me, in fact. 
Yeah, sitting outside the hatch. There was a hatch in the, yeah, in the, exactly. in the street, all covered in graffiti. You lifted it up and you went down this steep little wooden staircase, which was like a danger in itself. Like, And you went, it was steep, you went down and then you were in the place and then uh, they were looking for money off you, except if you were a, a DJ. Yeah, no, I, I actually ended up playing there a lot after my normal gig. You know, getting there sometimes at like four or five in the morning, leaving there at like 10 in the morning. I mean, then they kind of capped it at like 7 a.m. when they moved to the closet. But I mean, yeah, I remember playing there like 10, 30, 11 in the morning a few times where I'm just like, because I would just keep playing until if people were still dancing, I would just keep playing. I don't I don't know yeah. what was, you know. I mean, it's fun. I guess that's I the essence right, of yeah. DJing, right? I mean, I remember playing like Magic Sam or just some like, you know, total underground blue shit and like people were slow dancing and the sun was way up it's kind of like those magic dj moments you know <laughs> yeah yeah i think i the seven o'clock was probably the latest i stayed there so you mean i wasn't drinking or taking drugs at any of these events so yeah you've been I, sober for I a long stopped time that a long time ago ever yeah. since i became a dad so 32 years ago now i became a father for the first time and uh yeah i stopped drinking after that because I had drank too much, too often, and I loved it deeply, and it was my best friend, but I had to give it up. Well, yeah, because I guess it, it tends to uh, destroy things, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't good. Because you were, uh, you know, you obviously, before you came to New York, you had this whole other thing in... You're based in Dublin, right? You grew up there? I grew up in Dublin, yeah. Um, went to high school there, like, when I was 16. It was 1976. Punk rock came along, blew my mind. Like I was saying to you earlier, we we listened to like bands like Doctor Feelgood as well. They weren't punk punks in inverted commas, but they were like hard and fast. What do you call it? Well, I mean, I don't I don't know if you call it like the pub rock stuff, but yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like that sort definitely. of proto punk stuff. Some of the stuff that was on uh... definitely pub rock, yeah, yeah. And Kilburn and the High Roads, High Roads, which who turned into Ian Jury and the Blockheads, and those bands were around, even. Strummer was in the one yeah, the one on one, yeah, yeah, the one on or whatever. Um, so we were getting into all that stuff, and then the the other guys in in the class in school were like uh, Rory Gallagher and Deep Purple, and I never ever ever liked any of that stuff. And Led Zeppelin never, still don't, still can't stand them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, I wanted to start a band and we got a band together in school and it lasted maybe a year or two. Well, we had played a few gigs around Dublin. Then I got another band together, then another one. And then I finally got one that was, we were together for like 12 years and made a bunch of records. And that was a band called The Golden Horde. And we did records and CDs and stuff. And we had a bit of a good a run. We toured Britain supporting the Cramps. And we played gigs in Switzerland, France, Holland... Yeah, remember but, you were telling me you played gigs with like the milkshakes, like Billy Childish and like the Prisoners, which I was insanely jealous of because, of course, I loved all those bands that I'd never seen. I'd seen James Taylor Quartet a few times, but I'd never like seen the Prisoners. So I was like, "Wow, you played with the Prisoners? That's the amazing!" Prisoners were awesome. Yeah, and, and I believe they've reformed. Oh, okay, word. I believe they're back on tour again. So nice. you might get to see. Yeah, them, that's Jim. true. That's you amazing. You might get to see them. Um, and Billy yeah, Childish, so, obviously. So we, yeah. we were in Dublin. That's cool. You open up for the cramps. That's we amazing. Were, we were like totally into these bands from London, like this garage. The garage, like the, the, the trashy. Yeah, the 80s garage. Trashy Billy scene. kind yeah. of whatever it was. 
And so we brought them to Dublin. We we put on gigs with the oh, Stingrays. Really? Oh, okay. Like the Psycho The Prisoners. Scene. Yeah. The Milkshakes. The uh, the Cannibals. Nicky Sudden. Uh, the Barracudas. We brought them all over to Dublin and we put on a gig and we, we opened for them. And oh, then, so you would set up the, the yeah, event. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah. cool. We, we promoted and stuff. And so at the same time, I was in the early couple of years of that band, I worked as a printer. So I was like printing all the posters off. And I printed posters for all my mates in bands in Dublin. Like everyone I knew was in a band and they all needed posters. And my deal was, if you have a design you want me to use, I have to charge you. But if you let me create the design, it they're free. Because I wasn't paying for the materials or the paper or anything. So, but and I I really enjoyed the uh, the challenge of like design and stuff. Because even. this is obviously pre Photoshop. This is like, a, this were is you doing like Exacto knife type of stuff? Absolutely. Oh wow! Cut wow. and paste and uh, and letter set, rub down lettering. But then I started developing, using doing hand lettering and stuff. And uh, I'll show you a few examples afterwards. Yeah, I bet they're probably I collectible now. Here, yeah. Um, yeah, so we did all these, brought the bands to, to Dublin, put the gig on, and then we went to London, and they did the same for us over there. They, we played, our first gig in London was at the 100 Club, and uh, we were with the Stingrays and the Purple Things, and then, you know, we played Dingwalls with the Prisoners, and the guy from the Gun Club turned up, he was in the audience, and we played with Nicky Sudden, Dave Cosworth. So we were tight with all those guys, and it was great. It was a great, great time. And we had a lot of fun. And we made no money, but it never was about money anyway. And then uh, a few years later, we kind of got a sort of a record deal with uh, a label in Dublin called Mother Records, which was sort of owned by U2. Well, it was totally owned by U2. And we... No, know, I didn't realize that they helped put out your records. They put they put out our big budget record. Ah, big, right. Our big money album. Okay. But, um, so what was so what did that entail? Did you feel like different in terms of recording that? Like, well, with, yeah, did they kind of polish the sound? Yeah, we, a we little had bit? time. We had time. We weren't like going in on the overnight shift. Right, know? right, right. I in, guess in if, the, you're, if you're just scraping it together, you're just like, okay, let's bang out all these in songs the, in the know? cheapo studio. Right. We were in like the nice studios, and we we had we'd have the place booked for the week, and we could come in at a reasonable hour and work till a reasonable hour, and uh, yeah, it was great, and. Then they put the record out in Ireland and said it was going to go out in Britain, Europe and the States. And we were so stoked. And we thought we would have gone over to New York and lived in a van for like six months and gone up and down the coast. And, you know, we were like so Minutemen style. We were ready to so do ready to do that. <laughs> but the best we got was a tour of Britain with the cramps. And it was the only time I've ever been to Scotland. And I thoroughly recommend it. Nice. <laughs> We played in the Barrowlands in Glasgow with the, with the Cramps. All over Britain, everywhere. It was great. Best two weeks of my life. Amazing. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, obviously at a certain point, like the partying kind of like caught up in terms of uh, quitting all the sort of drinking and all that stuff. What do you mean, Jim? I don't know. What, what are you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, I was drinking a lot and... Um, so I, I was able to go to rehab. I was lucky enough to go to rehab and people people paid for it. Thank you, people. I won't say who you were, but and I was I was lucky enough to come out and go back and 
play with my band again as a sober individual. And uh, what was that like? Kind of like it was very, very scary initially, and then it was just then it just became normal. It was the new normal. Right, right. My, but the first gig when I was sober was supporting Joe Ely, Eli, Joe Ely, in a in a little bar in the south of Ireland um, that the local bikers had organised. But it was an acoustic show, so it wasn't a... It was very nerve-wracking, but I got through it. And then I said, oh, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I guess that's just a switch in your life. But obviously, you know, if you want to stay alive, you know. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, I became a dad then, and that's... Yeah, that was the reason. It wasn't the band. So I stayed in the band for four more years, as everyone else was drinking more and more around me, and it, it yeah, well, that's what I was gonna say crumbled. is like even if um, you didn't feel like you know like you needed to keep drinking, it also must be kind of like I mean I know I've been to after hours just because I've just naturally up and been around a, a lot of people on cocaine and I'm not and it definitely kind of gets old <laughs> sometimes you know like if you're just a re- like if you're not partying and then you're around people that are like. I've I turned, mean, did you feel I've that? Turned down, I've turned down cocaine more times than you've had hot dinners. Jim. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, did it get kind of tiring after a while? Like, you know, in terms of being around that environment or no? Well, I still loved the band, but right. it was just becoming more and more uh, dysfunctional, you know. Uh, but yeah, I'd be sitting in the back of the, the van coming home from a gig and I would be the guy who rolled the joints. You know, I didn't mind that, even though I wasn't partaking of it. But, you know, because I was still sort of together and my fingers could work everyone else was wasted except for hopefully the driver and you know so i'd roll the joints in the back of the van um when did you make it to new york yeah 95 came over left the band uh spent a month on a euphoric high with the freedom (laughs) of it and then plunged into a existential crisis so what am I going to do now and then I was lucky enough like uh, this girl I knew vaguely she asked me to read for her movie she was making a movie and I I got a part in that and that was mad interesting and uh, tied me up for like a month or two months and it, it got good reviews it was a short film a short Irish movie got nice reviews but uh, and then I thought yeah I'd like to be an actor this is this is interesting I can do this it's I had no see. This is what's funny about these interviews. Is I've known you for obviously for many years. I had no idea that you even acted at all ever. That's wild. But I'm a natural, Jim. Of course, <laughs> your sparkling personality. Uh, that was it. Yeah. Um, so that's is that kind of why you came so out to New York to act, basically? Well, at the same time, sort of? I was always thinking about going to New York, but I had no money, so. All the time we were in the band, in, in the band and playing in bands in in Dublin, everyone I knew was flying to New York to do CMJ and stuff like that. And uh, like, how do you how do you get the money to go? Oh, the Arts Council, the Irish Arts Council, gives you pays for your flight, uh, but we could never get it together. Like we didn't really have a manager and we couldn't organize this ourselves. But um, a f- chap I know in Dublin who is now like a council member he's like in the on the 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 city council he said uh go to go to new york i said how can i go to new york he said get an art flight that's what they were called art flights because the arts council got them so i wrote them a letter saying i'd been in this band for 12 years i would like to go to america to uh 
further my studies of rock and roll. <laughs> Pretty much that's what I said. And I'm in the wrong country, man. We'd never get a fucking shit like that ever in America. And like two weeks later, I fucking get a man. voucher for no. a return flight Come to on. New York. Get the hell out of yeah. here. <laughs> That's quite the hustle. Further my rock and roll stuff. I got to I gotta do some rails with Johnny Thunder. I thought so. that, was, that was a nice <laughs> choice of words. Yeah. So um, Fucking classic, man. So me and my missus off we went. And we stayed here for three months and then we, we went back to Dublin. And we're like, oh, my God, we love, we love New York so much. We're going to go back. So we planned to come back next September. So that was Christmas. So we had to make it through till, uh, till September. And, you know, we did it and we sold all our stuff and we, we came over. I'm not, we didn't have proper visas and stuff, but uh, somehow we managed to do it. <laughs> That's wild, man. I'm not and really going to go into it here, but but uh, no, no, it's all good. And then um, you, um, how did you kind of get in? I mean, obviously, you know, you're a music head, so I could see getting into DJing. But uh, do, was it kind of like because I know it's probably still in the '90s, you still had a little bit of that DJs versus bands thing, like yeah, it was definitely that. But I had stepped away from the band camp, and I was, I I got DJ gigs, and I couldn't play anything that had a vocalist on it because I was so sick of our singer. <laughs> and his, like, every time we were in the recording, he was like, okay, I'm going to do another track on the vocals. You know, and it was just layer and layer of vocals. I'm like, there should be a guitar solo in here. So, so you're going to be like a strictly instrumental so, DJ. Yeah. So, and that's when you're I started like, getting into... get all into, those Las Vegas grind records and shit. All of those. All, yes, yes, yes. And surf guitar stuff. And Latin records... Groovy Latin records that I didn't know what the hell they were singing about. I still don't, but I'm banging I know, I them out. I gotta learn Spanish one of those. I'm banging them years. out every Sunday. Yeah, no doubt. And it's great. And Brazilian music and stuff. So yeah, for a long time I couldn't listen to anything with a vocal on it. That is hilarious. Which, which is weird. And you know, I I didn't realize I was doing that until one day I realized it. I was like, what? God, he had such an effect on me. You know. So yeah, because me and the singer were pretty tight. Like. For years and years and years, but then we just uh, things happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, God bless him. I wish him well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, you're a serious digger. I know you've been like going around, like you used to hit what is it the um, the Rutherford Flea Market, which is the giant stadium parking lot in East Rutherford, New Jersey. How did you start going uh, out there? Oh, just I just kept hearing about it, and uh, I. Because I lived in Hell's Kitchen, so it was just a quick oh, drive through the tunnel. Oh, you just pop out through yeah. the tunnel, yeah. That was easy to get to. Um, harder to get to was the one at Green Acres Mall and the Sunrise Highway. You had to drive all the way across New York at the back of Queens. And now, I'd, I'd be very close to that if it was still running, but that was a, that was a great flea market, you know. Yeah, see, I didn't know that. I used to hit like the Twenty Sixth Street flea market when, be, and now they, it's not even a parking lot anymore. They no, built it, buildings it's, there. It's, it's a um, flea market. Yeah, it's still a flea market, but the I, outdoor one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, my on? my wife goes there every, oh, okay. every Saturday. And but I think it used to be bigger, right? Because they yeah. had more open lots or something. You see, the thing is, the problem is that everything got curated. Right. Okay. You know, they used to be more random and more more anarchic, and that's why I like those other ones further out. They'd have, um, 
you know, the first couple of rows would be all sort of organised and proper stalls and everything. And then down the back, it's just like people it would throw a tarp on the ground <laughs> yeah, and exactly. unload their truck on right, it. And right. you'd find all kinds of stuff there. And uh, had a great score out in Rutherford once um, at the Meadowlands. There was snow on the ground, but scattered on the snow on this tarp were like all these Fania records, L- LPs, Fania, Latin, like dollar each, you know. Like a probably about fifty or sixty. That I yeah, bought, it's you crazy. Know. You occasionally that's why I remember, you know, going to the Twenty Sixth Street flea market where it's freezing. You have gloves on. The sun was not up yet. You know, sometimes I would come there after gigs. I would like yeah, get yeah, off yeah. at four in the morning, get breakfast, and then go there. And it's like five thirty. It's still dark out. You have like a flashlight. It's freezing. It's You're freezing. like, why am I fucking here? And then this contractor guy, I guess, cleaned out some house. So he had all this stuff. He had the records in garbage bags. Yeah. He's just unloading garbage bags. Yeah. I'm there with like a few other people. We're ripping open these garbage bags. Everything's like $2. Robbie there's, was probably there. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And then there was like freaking original meters, you know, and you're like, yeah. oh, this is why I'm doing this. This is why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's wild. But uh, yeah, I guess record, you know, now it's kind of funny. I've definitely slowed down on buying, but like records are just like crazy, man. It's insane. But I guess, you you know, because when you were talking about how, like, back in the day, you could always just pass by. I mean, I think if you bumped into me into the 90s or early 2000s, you you would probably see me with records under my arm. Because yeah. you would just pass by random streets and there would be records all the time on the street constantly. Yeah. You so, know, and then Giuliani kind of like with his stupid quality of life laws was like, "Oh, I'm going <laughs> to stop all these flea markets and all these street vendors." So then you had to be like a vet to get like a street vending license or something. Do you something. remember the 2nd Avenue market every every night under the uh, the big sidewalk shed? It was like the thieves market. It was everything that was stolen that afternoon, that day. <laughs> In the East Village was on sale there that night. I remember when I lived, I lived on 9th and C, and I remember all around 9th between C and D, and then down Avenue C, there was a whole like flea market for yeah. a while that was yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. scored some nice lamps and many Latin records, you know. But so when I'm living in uh, Stanton and Clinton, I'm standing at the corner one day, and a guy goes past pushing a skateboard that has two crates of records on it. And I said, are they for sale? Of course they were. A dollar each. And, you know, I, that's where I found Eddie Kendricks, uh, People Get Ready, um, Great Jackson 5 records. And at the time I was doing Rubelat, so I was finding all these. I mean, everybody knew that they were great dance records, but I didn't. So I'd like stumble. Th- oh, this looks interesting. Yeah, run home, play it. Oh, my God, it's a killer. It's a proto-disco track. It's like a... Right, right, right. And I'd play him at Rubelat, and the place would go nuts. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's why, yeah, right. Yeah, and then you were kind of getting into playing, like, uh, a lot of dance music, too. Like, how did, did that, was that, like, a natural segue? Because you came from such a rock and roll background. But I remember you were playing, like, a lot of Breaks records and different stuff, David Holmes or whatever, like... Um, Freddie Fresh, man. Freddie Fresh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was killing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I loved Fat Boy Slim and uh, all that stuff, all that big beat thing as well. That was, yeah, that yeah. That was fun. But I, I never tried to play the hits. I always tried to play like the, 
Yeah, the B-sides and whatever. Yeah, find stuff that... Lion that, Rock that or some of that stuff. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Because you, I know that you would sometimes go but back listen, to Dublin and you would have like these records where I'm like, where'd you get that? And I was like, oh, it's some like weird like right, Euro yeah. press that didn't really get distributed here. But let know? me say something. I, I used to listen to your show all the time and I learned so much. Absolutely, Jim. Honest to God. Your radio show was like going to church. You know, it was like hey, opening, the, it was opening the Bible. Honestly. <laughs> You know, it was amazing every time. Thanks, man. Thanks. No, I so, mean, you know, I'd, I'd hear something that you'd play and I'd go, oh, man, I got to get that. And I'd go looking for it, you know. So, yeah, it wasn't what, all just random. No, no. I, I had no. my guide, my guidances, nah, my, my nah. guides, and my spirit guides. Do you still like kind of ever tinker around with guitar or play that stuff? Or yeah. Yeah. But my daughter needed a, some guitar for a school project in a hurry a year ago and I was able to like leap into the breach and just give her a whole bunch of random guitar tracks and stuff that she was able to work with and stuff so I guess I never lost it but yeah, no, I don't I, I don't pick up a guitar and, and plunk plunk for right but you still you still like you, you DJ like periodically here and there like you're doing something in the Rockaways now right oh it's my dream gig it's it's the Tiki Bar in the Rockaways the Rockaway Tiki Bar and I play vintage tropical music, and that gives me a huge breadth of, of music to, to delve into. And uh, I play Jamaican ska, I play uh, cumbia, Brazilian, I play oh, Ethiopian stuff. Which is killer, you know all those. Yeah, guys. yeah. Oh I mean, God. you know, I don't really. I had some of those Ethiopiques. That's that that originals are a little crazy to come by in the states, you know. <laughs> You can buy box sets of the, the 45s, but they, you know, they're probably expensive now, but they, when they came out, anyway, yeah, all that stuff, um, even some Far Eastern beat sort of stuff, you know, anything that's kind of groovy and not sort of North American and European. You always find yeah. you were like gravitating towards those sounds just because it was like maybe different from what you were coming up yeah, playing yeah, yeah, in a way? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd steep myself in rock and roll, and now I don't really listen to it all that much, you know. But I do love going to see a rock band every now and again, if they can they can still uh, <laughs> blow my mind. There's something about a guitar solo, you know, as long as it's, like, played on a Gretsch. <laughs> <laughs> but you do, you, you know, for, like, a hustle, like a life hustle, you've been a carpenter for a long time. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah. uh, I mean, is it, in terms of like, was it just something that uh, you were also interested in doing? You're like, oh, I can do this and make money doing it. Or that's how I, I dropped. I fell into it. Yeah, gone out to a building site on Long Island and like, I'm a carpenter, and you know, like not having the first clue. And a guy would go and get me a bunch of these, and I'm like, I have to stop and ask somebody what I'm supposed to get. You know, yeah, but like I learned. You know, now I can build some nice things. This, yeah, no, you you got like all the the <laughs> nice records. I was like, that looks like IKEA, but nicer. But that's the whole point. Hey, hey, <laughs> don't beat this in my <laughs> shit. The sweetest meatball shit. <laughs> no, because you were doing like I think I remember even back in the day you were doing like custom stuff and like apartments in the West Village and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always did that. Yeah, and um, I still. Do you just like over the years you kind of refine it where? You could get a job like that, obviously, if you're getting 
book to do that, you got to know what you're doing, you know, or yeah, make yeah. it look, make uh, it you look know, I had, nice I had thing, a, you know? a bunch of Polaroids of like my previous work and it was always word of mouth and stuff like some happy customer tells you another person, oh, this guy's good. But for the last couple of years, I've had this uh, job in a in a big high rise building where I do maintenance and stuff. But the best thing about it is I have a workshop in the basement and I can pretty much build anything I like down there. So I found a bunch of flooring and, and a piece of glass and I said, I'm going to make something nice out of this. And I put it all together and it's uh, that record shelf there. Yeah, see that? I mean, I think that there's something about that because I've never been super handy. It's kind of like you can kind of see stuff and almost like, oh, I can do, you know, you can see it in your head how to put it together, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. True. Were you working in a you were working in a shop for a while, right? Big production shop. So yeah. were you making stuff for like film and stuff or no, just we like made not no, I never worked for film. Um fashion shows, um Broadway musicals, in fact. I did some of that, yeah. I was trying to get into one of those unions, but See, I, I was gonna I never say, like, in, yeah. is it hard to get into like those unions? It's yeah. probably very hard, yeah, I yeah. imagine. Yeah. So I worked uh, in a non union place out in Secaucus for a long time, on and off. And we made like all the fashion week every year. Twice a year was just insane. You know, you're just pretty much living out there for like three weeks, working till every hour you can. And, you know, it's all overtime and stuff like that. So you make a lot of money. Guys used to turn up from New Orleans and Seattle and whatever, you know, every year. Oh, just to come in, like yeah. to work for that week. They'd or... make more in those couple of weeks They'd, they'd in, in New York for fashion week than they'd make for the rest of the year back home right and uh, it was great you know you'd see the same guys coming back year after year yeah yeah carpentry yeah i mean i still i still do things everything in this apartment i either got free or i built so <laughs> yeah i mean i remember you even built a few things for me and actually what was funny is i'm looking uh you know at some of these records you have like some wood glue on them is that so it's almost oh, like yeah, carries yeah. over now in the record cleaning that's a deep cleaning yeah yeah no, I, I heard about that but i'd actually never seen it you just showed me like the whole uh, peeling I, off the wood glue that's pretty nuts man i that's recommend tight bond too is the best stuff okay and you know don't have it sitting around forever because it kind of gets lumpy and gluey yeah buy a new tube go on it's worth it <laughs> it really works well on 45s so i bought some old because it literally, like, you basically coat. I mean, it seems like really scary in terms of like you're coating the record in glue. Yeah, you're I guess smushing it in with your finger into the grooves, and uh, but it does not blend with the with the the vinyl. It it you know it'll stick to it, but you, then once it's dry, you can peel it off. You just need to have a little handy edge. You get a blade and very carefully, just peel it up a little bit, and then you can pull the whole thing off like a big sticker it's crazy though and i mean obviously if you have like an actual nick or scratch it's going to be there but in terms yeah. of all the gunk it's just kind of like it but just it, basically peels it away takes all the, the, gunk. the gunk out of the grooves and it works better on 45 because the grooves, the grooves are, are a little deeper yeah. yeah 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 what are you digging these days like i mean you still you still go out and dig at these these uh, flea markets the flea, and stuff, yeah, right? yeah yeah when yeah. you can um, i guess jazz uh latin stuff like Anything I've never seen before, I want to see what it sounds like, you know. Yeah, because you've even picked up, I, I think you have some compass stuff too, like some Haitian stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
lots of Haitians in New York. Yeah, I mean, so. you can still find... That's the interesting thing about New York. There is that kind Everything. of melting pot aspect that when you're digging, you know, you will find just Everything stuff. comes through New York. Yeah. Like, so say, for example, one day at a flea market, I found a bunch of Middle Eastern 45s with picture sleeves, like from various North African and Middle Eastern countries, like about 25 of them, dollar each, $2 each, whatever. I had to have them. You know, they were just beautiful looking things. I love labels with Arabic script on them. Yeah, like, you don't you even know, know like what, who the fuck is <laughs> So this? I had to buy them and take them home and play them. Some of them were awful. Some of them were devotional, but one or two were really, really cool. Uh, another time, flea market, there's like all these Bollywood EPs, seven-inch EPs in picture, in picture wow. sleeves. Wow. Uh, four track, uh, so I found all the R.D. Burmans, of course, and uh, got them for a good price too. But you just find these uh, bundles of culture from somewhere else. And, and it becomes like kind of an, a random education. I see, that's the thing totally. that I think it's different than like, you know, what I call digital digging, where, okay, you're going around trying to download something, but you have to type in the name. There has to be kind of like a sort of, you have to have some sort of in thing. The thing about digging records is it's just random because you yeah. can just pick up stuff that looks interesting. You may not have heard of the label of the person at all. You That's know? what I love about it. So it becomes kind of like random in a beautiful way because you're yeah. like, wow, I discovered this. this is crazy. You I know? I, if, if, if I've never seen it before, I want to hear it. Right, right, right. That's the bottom I line. I think that's the kind of digging thing. And, and it's just that even if you have endless shit you there's still you can never have it all and you it becomes like a kind of mania i guess yes as we both know <laughs> and then it, and it then it starts to fill up your house and, and, that's and then, your, and then your wife your wife starts with the, the fist like get these records out of here you know so exactly. my wife did that to me and uh, so i i moved and and then she lived in a record-free environment for maybe a year or less no much less than a year and then she won a competition on FMU, and she got two records sent to her in the mail. So then she's like, I need a turntable. And then she bought a turntable. And then she <laughs> asked me for some records. <laughs> See, and here's she how wanted, it starts. She here's wanted Willie DeVille, and she wanted uh, some other stuff. So, yeah, so she, I gave her all those. Hilarious. And some jazz. And, yeah, so now she's got her own collection. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what was it like uh, growing up in uh, in uh, Dublin back then? I mean, was that the time of what is quote unquote the troubles and all that shit? Or yeah, it was. But that was a hundred miles away. Yeah, that, yeah. Obviously, that you was know, happening. Belfast in was a hundred miles. Oh, from Dublin, right, right. Okay. And See, there's there's hardly my, ever changed uh, on us. Yeah. So Dublin was a little more chill, I guess. Yeah, but it was it was rough. It was like you know you'd get beaten up just for wearing the wrong pants or something you know or looking at a guy funny you know it was a it was a tough city um did you get into a lot of fights then growing up and not stuff really like that? no i managed to stay out of trouble right but you kind of had to have your wits about you kind of be careful people okay, could I, I was get touched always tall and big so like, right i didn't get messed with too often right 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 touch wood thank god <laughs> um and like, you know, the people say this Irish people and British English people don't like each other, but basically we were the same culture. We listened to the same music. We watched the same television, you know, so all my English mates here now, 
that are my age have we've got the same background we we know exactly the same things you know even if even if it's a black english guy that i have more in common with him than i might have with a white american well yeah in terms of just like how you grew up and yeah, the stuff and the stuff into. that was on the radio right, and the things right. we watched on the telly yeah that kind of thing yeah which is your culture and your background i guess but then does it kind of split when like say the queen dies because obviously that was one of the jokes on like Irish Twitter was like, you know, <laughs> I mean, obviously there, you know, it's sort of the same culture, but it's obviously like uh, different perspectives based yeah. on how yeah, yeah, England yeah. has treated Ireland, you know, yeah. like, is there, is there still kind of that animosity you think? Yeah. But you know, the queen came to to Dublin like five or 10 years ago, whatever, and wowed everybody. And the first time she had ever, a queen had, or a, a monarch had ever visited the country, I think. And uh, everybody was very impressed with her, with her manners, with her beautiful <laughs> manners. <laughs> and her billions. <laughs> too much, too much, man. I mean, like Irish and English culture is very intertwined. Like there's so many Irish people in Britain and like Ireland is full of English people and Welsh and Scottish people as well. So, you know, they're separate ge geographical entities, but culturally we're very similar. And what about actually also being Irish in New York? Because, you know, you're mentioning like Dara and we were talking about a few other people. Like, do, do you, you feel like people kind of gravitate here as like sort of expats in a way? Or Well, it's a very useful network to have when you when you land here, you know, that you can tap into or you can you can turn your back on it if you want, if you want to, you know, like you can just hang out with Americans. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I guess New York and Ireland is very close. I, I've never been to Boston, so I don't know what it's like there. Do I hear terrible things about about Boston Irish Americans being pretty racist? And stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that aspect, you yeah. know. But uh, L.A., for example, is more full of English people, I think, even though this, I know plenty of Irish people who went out there to the West Coast, but there was a, a lot more English. It's, it's what I, I'm, I've been there once or twice, but that's what I think. I could but, be wrong. But what about like the Irish pubs here? I mean, do you feel like any kind of kinship with cuz there or is that just like a whole other scene? You well, know? I don't drink, so I was never Right, right. I was right. never into that, you know. Right. Yeah, it's a, it is a big scene, yeah. Every neighborhood has them and uh, I just drive by them. <laughs> oh, there's another Irish pub I've never been in. But like another Irish guy would be an aficionado of them. He'd go around and Sample Make the, the Guinness rounds in or every, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but, right. Um, yeah, that was just not for me. Yeah, you're too, um, you're too punk rock. I remember seeing Rod Stewart on top of the Pops singing Pool Hall Richard. You know that song? No, I don't. Pool Hall Richard, you're far too wicked, we know. And like, it's a good rocker. And uh, the face is going nuts. And like, Rod is throwing the mic up in the air. Anyway, this that was my epiphany. That was when I decided I'm going to get into, I want to play guitar in a band. Even really? Though, yeah. Rod the Mod. And then a couple of years later, you. punk rock came <laughs> along and, and made it all happen for me. I mean, you were kind of there at the beginning of punk rock, right? I no, mean, not really into it in 76, but yeah, definitely by 77. I saw The Clash then in 78. I missed them in 77. They came to Dublin. I didn't see them. But yeah, the, 78, 79, I was going to see all the shows. It was brilliant. The Ramones came, played in 78. They played in a cinema in Dublin. The cinema got wrecked, got destroyed. 
This, so the Ramones were like a huge thing. Oh yeah. Even you know out there obviously. Yeah. yeah. You know we were lining up for hours before drinking in the in the street. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's amazing to to be able to like catch all those shows when they were happening. I've, I've got to show you like loads of tickets and stuff I have from shows and the specials and all that stuff. I like, know. See, that's that's oh like my God, whole yeah. rude boy youth. Like, I mean, I saw a lot of those bands when they were kind of like, you know, because I'm a little bit younger. So I was kind of seeing some machinations of those bands in like the late 80s, early 90s. Oh, man. Bad you should have seen them in 78, 79. No, I know. <laughs> No, I did see the specials beat. finally with like everybody, like in Terminal Five some years I back. Saw that. You know, that, that was, was a, a good show. show. It was that a was good a show, show, right? Yeah. Because like Terry Hall and those guys had never, like, they had a thing called like the Special Beat Service where they had members of the specials and the English Beat touring in the early nineties. Yeah, that was before the English Beat uh, then reformed and played. You know, though shouts, of course, Rankin Roger, but. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, to see that and kind of, uh, and was like the whole two-tone thing when that was kind of madness in England, was that also big in, in Dublin? All the, oh, huge, huge, yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, everyone was like a mod for a day, basically. Yeah. Everyone was a rude boy. Rude boy. <laughs> you know, and, and punks could go to the gigs as well, you know, because right, we all knew right. each other. And what about like the stuff like National Front, which I, I guess is more of an English thing, but I mean, did yeah. you have those kind of like racist type groups in Ireland too that were kind of like, Around then, or no, we had the IRA. <laughs> <laughs> What's your take on them? Um, hmm. I mean, well, now it's, they've morphed into Sinn Fein, and they're right, they're, they're kind of like an the official, next, their official party. They're going to be the next government, pretty much in Ireland, right. the way things are going. Um, you know, they did everything the right way. They, but they, they just fucking murdered a lot of people. You know, right. I mean, do you think it was like just such a, you know, in terms of what England was doing was so rough that it kind of created this kind of like. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, England did a lot of fucked up shit to Ireland, obviously. They did. Yes. What's that bad one? Is the ice cream van come around? Time to take your meds. I know. Time to take my psilocybin. <laughs> if you miss your microdose. <laughs> yeah, 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 I need to keep microdosing. <laughs> microdose time. Um, no, what was I going to say? Yeah, I mean, I guess it was just like, I mean, it just seemed like this sort of like crazy times. I don't know. Not that we're not living in crazy times now, but just like. Yeah, I mean, growing up in Belfast would have been rough, you know, and I, I think that's why punk up there was really special you know for the kids for the teenagers at the time yeah is that is that where stiff little fingers is from or stiff little fingers rudy the outcasts loads of great bands all those good vibrations bands yeah and uh, the undertones were from Derry across the way which uh, had its own set of problems but yeah the same stuff yeah civil rights and uh and do you, do you still get out there to uh ireland on the regular or semi-regularly yeah yeah yeah. i try and go twice a year yeah see my mum now haven't been back since for uh, over a year i'm overdue but like say four years ago i was back there and one of my buddies says uh, oh jerry dammers is djing tonight do you want to go 
do I what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was brilliant. Like I went to this little basement club and uh, just kept bumping into people I hadn't seen in years. It's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant night. And he, he had all these two-tone dub plates that he'd done remixes on and stuff and loads of rock steady and stuff I'd never heard before. It was all brilliant, brilliant night. Good old Jerry Dammers. Yeah, man. You know, it's nice to see that these people are still kicking, you know. I mean, I don't know. We just, what do we do? We have to keep going, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I, I thought about giving up there once, but I decided against it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I don't know. The records are still there, so, you know, even if you're not playing them all the time at some point, dust them up. I, I, I always, like, kind of say this whole thing where it's like, you can't really retire from DJing fully because it's like, it's just hitting play. It's even lazier than golf. You know what I mean? Like you don't even have to walk around, you know? Yeah. So if there's like 90 year old mofos playing golf or, you know, you can still play a few records, even DJ. if you're not doing it like quote unquote, as professionally as you, if you were, you know, that whole retiring, like, okay, I'm going to retire from, but you know, you still can play records every once in a while. You can play records from a golf cart. That's yeah. true. That's what I'm <laughs> drive around. Play it, play it on a hot dog stand. But yeah. I, I played uh, records at a after hours at the, the DJ booth with a hot dog stand. I'm saying, you know. Anyways. Um, was there anything else you wanted to talk about or mention or what am I missing here or whatever? Oh, man. Yeah. No, I just... Uh, I've, I've had a very interesting life and I'm, I'm very... very... Uh, What's that word? Thankful. That's the word. <laughs> <laughs> thankful. I am very, very thankful for it. Yes, I've done a lot of different things and uh, probably mastered none of them. But yeah, that's fine. <laughs> no, I mean, you know. And that's what anybody who's listened to this try and do lots of things, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe it's this an aspect of being versatile and knowing uh, like just how to just keep rolling as in life, I guess. I don't know. But also, like, attempt stuff, you know, even if you've never done it before, don't be put off with, oh, I couldn't do that. Just try it. Give it a go. And then if you fail, at least you'll learn a little bit about yourself and about it. And uh, Yeah, I feel like sometimes I have, like, a perfectionist tendency, though it's actually, it's not like you're perfect at things. It's just more like, oh, since I'm not going to be perfect at things, then what's the point? Because there's always that whole point of, like, when you start doing something, you kind of suck at it. So yeah. it's sort of like one of those things where you have to get over not being as good as you want it to be good to get through to the next level of actually being decent at it, you know. But if you don't, if you lose that patience early on, then you're not even going to follow through to get to the point of even being mediocre at it, you know. I guess that's why gaming is, is good for kids. They, it teaches them to keep going. And you see skateboarders like doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And I guess that's how guys become good uh, battle DJs and, you know, mix DJs and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I mean, DJs. you just, I think it's just one of those things you have to put your time into yeah. doing it, you know. I mean, it's easier said than done. I always know that, but then I, I still kind of like the certain things where I should be doing more. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's a, that whole thing in life. It's sort of like listening to that voice in the back of your head of like, you know, you should probably be doing that. But I don't know. Another aspect, though, for me being, I don't know, I, I find as the years go on, I'm like maybe more ADD than I'd like to think I was growing up. So it's like one of those things of like, um, 
just even understanding how you work as a person in terms of how you learn things or whatever, you know. But I mean, like it is, it's kind of ballsy, like just going into like the carpentry stuff, like just sort of like without anything, you know, I guess you just kind of learn as you go or whatever. Yeah, you know, I was working on that first job with Marcus. Oh, Marcus, <laughs> right. Who was younger than me, but was a qualified cabinet maker as well by that stage. Uh, so. I didn't realize that, oh, you know, who is also a DJ, obviously. Marcus Lampkin. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's Shit what, robot. in Berlin, right? Yeah, or he's in Germany. Yeah, because he was doing stuff for like DFA for a while and stuff. Yeah, Who I forgot. Owned Plant Bar. Yes. That you were going to talk about. Yes, yes. Plants. Plant Bar, that's right. So we had that gig that was like, what, 2002, 2003? I'm trying to remember when Plant Bar was. I was like Dominique and Mark. Was that Dominique and Marcus's bar, right? Yeah. Yeah, and they got a, because, yeah, yeah. because Dominique was like in the music biz and DJing. I think he was DJing at Central Fly. So they got a lot of people through there. Yeah, to DJ, right, right, right. they had they had like I think I don't know if they had like Daft Punk, but they had like a lot of random people come through there and play because it was a small bar in the East Village. But we did a Sunday night party. We, was we had the lame Sunday night. No, no, whatever. <laughs> I had nothing wrong with that. It's fine. But yeah, the greenhouse effect, which uh, I taught you how to you see. You learned another skill there. You were you were a sober bartender, which there is a few in this town. You know, more than a few. You know, I was mixing drinks for people, and they'd uh, take a sip, and they go, "Oh, jeez!" <laughs> I <I'd> just <laughs> make it super strong. I'm saying, like, sober thought, bartenders are the best because you're I, like, "Oh, don't you want this shit?" <laughs> I thought it was it was a good thing, but like the guy was like, "No, no, no, this is way yeah, too strong." <laughs> Well, yeah, the thing that I was like, so yeah, it was you and me, and um, I was bar. We were I was bartending, bartending and DJ. Yeah, so but so then we trade over, off, and, and I like taught you how to bartend. But then, <laughs> because you know I was a little more seasoned, anytime it actually got busy, you got to DJ to the I'd full like, crowd. I'd have to and run I, down. And I Jim, to, <laughs> what's what's a bloody Mary? Uh, what, what's a you know, yeah, plant a, a highball or something. Yeah, no, that was that was yeah, fun though. So then I'd take over the decks again. <laughs> yeah, no, Crazy. it was good parties, man. I don't know, you're you're good people, Des. You have a fantastic taste in music. I'm glad you're still spinning and stuff and all that stuff. You know, it's like sometimes it's tricky as years go on. You're like even just to find places to play that are down, especially if you're not like on the hunt to try and dj so it's it's nice that you have like that rockaways thing and stuff because you have ill records that's the thing there's always like people in this town that have ridiculous records but then as the years go on maybe they're out of the loop of like what is the new spot and whatever and so you don't see them djing and it's like these people are ridiculous djs they have dope I, shit you know I, I don't do social media i like i mean i threw up a few things on instagram a couple of months back but that was it i mean i've never than any of the other stuff. Do you feel like you're on the other, you know, being a little bit older, you just weren't that appeal? You know, I just appealing don't to, never to like, appealed to me. Though. Yeah, yeah. Well, why? What are you doing all this? Like, what do you want? More likes to, you know? You know, yeah, trolling for clicks, right? Um, if I want to talk to someone, I can pick up the phone. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know? I, yes, I, I do emails, yes. I have a computer. But uh, not, social not media just lover. never yeah. ever appealed to me. Well, we were talking about that even when we were getting a meal. That there's a there's an aspect of like narcissism with it, where it's like, you know, I I don't I don't mind people putting up selfies or all that stuff, but then when it's like entirely that, it's just it's just 
And again, I'm not against it if that's how people want to present themselves, but it is kind of just a funny existence a little bit, you know. I guess it's just different, you know. It's like people just documenting their life, but sometimes it's sort of documenting it from a certain perspective of like, okay, there's the Grand Canyon, but do you always have to put your face in front of it? You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. It's just a wacky way of looking at life, but hey, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I think it's more sinister than that as well. The, really? The way kids are, their whole life. Well, because you, now you have three stuff, kids you know? and, you know, they've kind of, uh, they're all grown to a certain degree. Only so. one is a teenager anymore. Yeah. I mean, what was it like sort of witnessing people growing up in social media? Like, did you keep them off of Facebook until a certain age no, and that no, kind no, of no, shit, or no. no? No, we bought them smartphones early on, you know, just because we but wanted you, to be in touch with but, them. But, I mean, were you afraid? Because, like, you know, people kind of, like, prey on younger folks and stuff where you're kind of, like, you know, kind of a little... I mean, I guess you, there's only so much you can do. But I do, I do think it's kind of wild that, you know, you have younger people out there that... You know, you probably have someone older being like, okay, blah, 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 yada, 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 or... Well, you know, you've got to make your own mistakes as well. Right. So that's how you learn. I mean, you obviously had kind of a crazy growing up, too, so that maybe... But, did but that give no you smartphones around no, yeah, to yeah. document your mistakes, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I remember one night I got so drunk at a party and I woke up and I made my way home and people were looking at me funny. And when I got home, I looked in the mirror... And somebody had put makeup all over my face. Like, <laughs> like one of those you passed yeah. out dudes. But, uh, yeah, totally. But that's the kind of thing that would almost be like, oh, let me get a picture of this so, and post it. <laughs> <laughs> I know we missed that, <laughs> thankfully, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Well, well, any any parting words to uh, the people out there? Oh, man. Just be, be good to yourselves. <laughs> be good to others. But be good to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's key. It kind of yeah. starts with that. Yeah, totally. Because you're not, you're no use to anybody else if you're, if you're a mess. Yeah. But um, hey, cheers, Jim. Thanks. Yeah, we must thanks. do this again. I'll tell you part two then the next. No, time. no, it's all good. <laughs> no, there is, there but, is no part two. Um, and you know, I usually have people do like either a mix or a playlist, uh, for the podcast. So. Uh, I don't know if there's anything. Uh, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'll I mean, you got a few records things, here, yeah. but uh, you know, what do you think you would put together on the playlist? Just some mad cumbia, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you're kind of like uh, rolling in that. I saw you yeah. got some nice cumbia 45s over there, man. Yeah. Or some compa. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my sweet spot these days. Yeah, those kind of. Those kind of uh, Caribbean-ish sounds. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good shit, man. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks again, Daz, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Jim. Thank you. You've been listening to Small Changes, Stark Reality on jasoncharles.net. To hear the exclusive Stark Reality playlist from DJ Repo Man, check out Stark Reality Episode 54 wherever you get your music podcasts on Mixcloud, or live and direct on the Stark Reality Series page on jasoncharles.net, Podcast Network, Music Channel. jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep. Very, very deep.